Massey Reformation. My name is Jason Rice. I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin. Unfortunately, Willie won't be able to join us the next couple of weeks. Something about a wedding and a honeymoon. Um, I'll have to talk to him about his priorities. But he will be back. We're just a couple of guys who love the Christian Reformed Church and want to see Reformation happen in our denomination. And we realize that whenever Reformation happens, things get messy. And we're starting to see things get messy now. So we're taking the opportunity to have conversations with pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church to find out what's going on in our denomination, but also to find out what Reformation might look like. We are so grateful for all of you who are faithfully listening each week and faithfully encouraging us each week and faithfully sharing this content with the people around you. Keep it up. Keep sharing these episodes. Keep talking about this to people. It is helping spread these conversations throughout the CRC and is helping Reformation come. Don't forget to head on over to YouTube. We're dropping episodes over there every week as well. And if you haven't already, take a moment, click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We are dropping episodes every single Monday, rain or shine. All that said, we're going to get to this week's episode, which is part one of our conversation with David Chung. So, David, why don't we just begin by, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, your family and the church that you're at as well? Yeah. Uh, My name is David Chung. You can call me David. My wife is Esther. I'm David, but not the king. She's Esther, but not the queen. And our son is Matthew, but not the royal tax collector. We're three in the family, and we all serve together at Emmanuel Christian Reformed Church here in uh, Richmond, part of Metro Vancouver in British Columbia. I um, was previously in the Philippines and in England before I came to Canada. Uh, There was also a shorter period of time when I resided in the USA. So I've been uh, in a few continents, so to speak, and have seen the people of God in different situations, speaking different languages, and reaching different people groups. Um, I actually started out as a youth pastor many, many years ago. And then the Lord led me to become a seminary teacher. And then eventually uh, I I went to England for uh, uh, post-grad studies. My areas of um, interest, if I can use that term instead of expertise, um, is biblical studies and also church history. Uh, I find that uh, it's very useful for me to have a uh, background in history as I notice that uh, most pastors in North America are stronger in theology than in history. Mm. Uh, I find that history brings a lot to us because we are not the only generation that do theology. Uh, Many (laughs) before us have done it, and there's a big storehouse of uh, wisdom that we can uh, profit from. Um, It's not only the history of doctrines, it's also the history of mankind, or the history of the church, or the history of Christian mission. Therein also I find a lot of things that can advise us today, and will be very valuable for us. So um, I started teaching in the seminary actually in about 1988, I think it's 1988. 
And then I was involved in theological education in Asia and then in Europe and then now in North America. So I have been involved in theological education for uh, maybe three decades plus uh, in different places. Uh, eventually I serve as a president of Asian Theological Seminary and Asian Theological Seminary is an international seminary. So uh -huh. one of the partner missions is actually Christian Reformed World Missions, which today is of course uh, uh, resonate. Mm -hmm. And so I have been uh, in fellowship with many CRC people uh, since the 1980s uh, until now. Uh, in the year 2010, the Lord led me to come to Canada to succeed my former pastor who was going to retire for the third time. And this time he succeeded. <laughs> he was 72 when he retired. You know, So I came basically to continue the pastoral work uh, here in Richmond. We are a trilingual congregation. So at nine o'clock, I preach in Amoy or Minnan which is a Southern dialect, the neighbor of the Cantonese. At 10 o'clock, I preach in Mandarin, which is the national language of China and also of Taiwan. And then uh, at 11.30, I try to preach in English as well. And this wow. is what I'll do this coming Sunday. Of course, you have to tweak things uh, to adjust to that particular audience that I'm addressing. The main message is the same. But the illustrations and the uh, more contextual stuff will be different. Uh, humor has to be uh, adjusted to the particular congregation so that they understand what's going on and see the humorous side of it. Yeah. Uh, my wife recently retired as a um, children pastor, but she's still involved in our church ministry. Uh, and she's still involved in uh, uh, a women's Bible study uh, ministry. Um, so that's about it. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that'll uh, that'll teach any pastor to complain about having to preach two sermons on a Sunday, having to preach three sermons in different languages with different illustrations and different contexts. That's uh, that's quite a feat, David. So um, I guess this is just a random question. How many languages do you speak? Well, I can speak English. I can speak Mandarin. I can speak Amoy, which is Minan. I can understand some Cantonese. Uh, I can understand a little bit of Spanish. And uh, I can speak Tagalog, which is uh, one of the major dialects of the Philippines upon which is based Filipino which is the national language of the Philippines. Yeah. Wow. So what was, uh, what was underneath? You said you started off in youth ministry um, mm -hmm. and then felt a call to enter into kind of being an, an educator or a seminary professor. What was, what was part of that call to move from youth ministry to uh, being a teacher? Well, actually, when I was in seminary, I have a desire to, to be involved in theological education. But when I first graduated, there was no opportunity. Uh, I, seven churches were interested, uh, but eventually the Lord led me to a medium-sized church. 
of about maybe 300 something people, maybe 400, something like that. Adults, not counting the young people and the children. We do have many children and young people. So if we count all of that, maybe 400, I suppose, mm -hmm. or 450 people. So it's a medium-sized church for that city. Uh, in Canada, we have a different scale. <laughs> if you're uh, like uh, 200, you're considered a medium-sized church because yeah. Canada does not have a big population. Mm -hmm. And then if you're 500, you're supposed to be mega church. But in America, 500 is probably a middle-sized church, like in the Philippines. So uh, I started out as a youth minister, but all the while on the side, I was preparing theological lectures to deliver mm -hmm. someday. <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. I got to teach some uh, seminary-type courses when I was in church as a youth pastor. But eventually, the Lord opened a door. So I went back to school and uh, finish my uh, THM or Master of, of Theology. And then before I finished that, Asian Theological Seminary recruited me to start teaching courses, uh, which are Bible courses. You know? And so uh, I eventually became full-time with Asian Theological Seminary. And then uh, I also thought that it would be good if I have one foot in the academe and one foot in pastoral ministry. I noticed that uh, my teachers in the past who are full-time seminary profs tend to be theoretical. And then my teachers who are part-time or adjunct faculty, but full-time pastors tend to be a bit practical, but a bit shallow. Mm. Uh, there's no depth, but there's width. And with the seminary full-timers, there's depth, but there's no width. So I thought it is useful, perhaps, to be involved, involved in both worlds. So eventually, I was full-time lecturer and also a so-called part-time pastor. But I'm the only pastor of the church, so I'm doing everything. <laughs> so it is very tiresome to hold two full-time jobs, but the grace of the Lord was sufficient. It's very tiring. And there's no time to rest. You know, lectures mm -hmm. coming up and then you have to preach on Sunday and then all of this and you don't have an assistant pastor or a youth pastor everything is is you but that was good training in terms of self-discipline you have to budget your time there are deadlines and deadlines don't <laughs> adjust for us we adjust to the deadlines uh, I found that uh, a very useful training and then um Eventually, the Lord called me to be a mission executive. So uh, if you recall, in the 1990s, different regions in the world suddenly were all looking at AD 2000. Mm. And so there were a multitude of AD 2000 movements. And so the AD 2000 movement was kind of uh, coordinated by a body. And then eventually there's a global AD 2000 committee who kind of coordinates. They don't direct people what to do, but they do coordinate these stuff. So because of that, I was called to be a mission executive for the Philippines. And I need to be traveling all the time to meet different people, churches, speak to them, share the vision and so forth and so on. And you know, the Philippines has only 7,000 islands. <laughs> wow i'm on the road all the time either yeah. driving or flying or taking a ferry yeah 
So actually, I've been involved in three different kinds of ministries, parachurch or mission executive, and then as a seminary person, initially as instructor, later on as assistant professor, finally as president of the seminary. And so that's admin. So I was in a classroom, and then I was in admin. Now, the task of the seminary professor is uh, heavy but simple. But the task of a seminary president is super heavy and not simple. So we're dealing with in-house students, staff. I'm dealing with externals, which means donors, opponents, and, uh, and also people you want to share the vision with or prospective yeah. supporters. Yeah. And it it was a it was a a season of trusting in the Lord. Hmm. Yeah. So I've been a a pastor too since uh, 1986, on and off, and then sometimes simultaneous with uh, another ministry. So I I wear three hats as a pastor, as a theological educator or academic. And as a mission mobilizer or former mission executive, so I see yeah. all these three worlds. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And now, so now you're you're serving as a pastor. Do you still have a role in uh, theological education outside of your pastoral ministry as well? Right now, well, I was. Um, I, I were involved in in starting a seminary here in Vancouver. Hmm. As you know, Vancouver is a, is a heavy immigrant city. Like say in Richmond where I live, most people are immigrants, like mm. two-thirds or more. So they weren't born here. They came here and they speak different languages. Uh, we discovered that increasingly people from the People's Republic of China are coming over in big numbers. So a lot of Cantonese churches started Mandarin ministry to reach out to them. And then eventually some of them want to become pastors. And so we started a Chinese-speaking seminary a few years ago here. I think we already have two or three batches of graduates uh, since oh, wow. then. Yeah, so the Lord has been kind to us uh, because so many Chinese pastors from Asia migrated to Vancouver. So we actually have a big pool of lecturers who have uh, doctorates in their areas of specialization. Uh, most of them cannot teach full-time, but they can do it part-time. So we have a small group of full-timers and a big adjunct lineup yeah. uh, to fill in the different courses. So I'm involved now as more on the um, executive level, not in classroom teaching, although they wanted me to do that. And then on the side, I still make myself available as a consultant to PhD students around the world. In fact, just recently, I, a gentleman contacted me who was uh, in Chicago, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, which is today Trinity International University. And he was doing his uh, church history research at that time at Trinity. And he came across my book. And then, you know, he was able to locate me through my seminary in the Philippines. And so I gave him some pointers where to go and what to do. And then uh, recently he contacted me. Now he's already a, a lecturer in a seminary in Australia. Oh, wow. Places. Yeah. 
So uh, there's another gentleman who is an American, but who uh, has done a lot of uh, study of Minan Christianity. Uh, we were also in communication. And now today, I think he's, I think, assistant or associate professor now in Xiamen University in South China. Yeah. Oh, wow. So I consultancy is easier. It, 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 we ride on our expertise. And I, um, I work in an area where, where in a way, I, they, I'm recognized as the leading expert in that area. Uh, it, you know, in, in British, uh, by the way, I, I did my work in England, University of London. Okay. And so we are very specialized. We really go, you know, into one area and go really deep, you know. And so people who research in that area, we kind of, you will come across names. And then eventually you realize you have to contact this person because your own supervisor in your seminary simply does not have expertise at that depth level. He has a general feel of the subject, but once you go into PhD research, they, they probably cannot direct you as much. So I fill mm-hmm. in that gap. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So one of the questions that's been running in my mind is what brought you into the Christian Reformed Church then? Yeah. Um, my former senior pastor came to Canada around the turn of the century. I can't remember it's before or after Y2K. It's around that time. So he pastored a church for many years, and then he retired. They called him back. He retired. They called him back. He retired the third time, and he succeeded because I came. So they actually hunted me down, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, uh, in 1997, I uh, went to the U.S., uh, I was doing archival research, so I need to be at the archives physically. Some of those things uh, are not available in any other way. They're not online because these are ancient documents nobody's interested in, except a mm-hmm. few researchers. So I have to travel. So I came to New Jersey. Now, I know that that's not a permanent house. A pastor found a, a one bedroom for me, just the bedroom. And then uh, we're supposed to find permanent housing. But there was some miscommunication lapses. So I thought it's going to be like long term. Uh, but then eventually the, uh, the landlord says, no, 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 that's only two weeks. You got to go. So eventually oh. I was sort of evicted in a very friendly way, <laughs> nonviolent way. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so I was in New Jersey. I know this is not permanent. I did not give the address to anyone in the whole world, because I don't want my correspondence to be going there eventually. And then the landlord, you know, kind of throwing things away, you know. Seven days pass and I receive a phone call. There were no cell phones in those days. It was a phone call to that house. Hmm. So the landlords, I can't remember the son or the wife can and says, you have a phone call. So I thought it's, it's the other pastor in New Jersey who met me at the airport, right? I went up pick up the phone, spoke. It was Emmanuel Christian Reform Church in Richmond, BC, Canada. They identified the house. They identified the phone number. But mm. I did not give those to anyone in the whole world. Wow. So I asked them, how did you track me down? <laughs> and they said, we have sources. <laughs> so I suspect Emmanuel 
is part of the CIA network. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, one of the things uh, that we like to ask people on the podcast is um, when you're kind of looking at the Christian Reformed Church, what are some of the strengths um, that you've seen uh, in the Christian Reformed Church? What are some of the things that we do really well at? I think the Christian Reformed Church has a high degree of compassion. We are very kind to victims. We are very kind to those who are weak. We are are no longer like the 17th century Dutch imperialist. We have become universal citizens of the world, uh, citizens of the kingdom of God. And I think that's a strength. I think we are, we uh, spend time talking together instead of rushing things through. And I find that Christian Reformed people like to talk. If you give <laughs> them true. a chance, everybody wants to talk and they can talk again and again. <laughs> so, yeah, we like to talk, which of course is a form of fellowship because every time somebody speaks, we know that person a little bit more a little bit more of his values, a little bit more of his priorities, a little bit more of his passions. So we that we are a good conversational community. We talk a lot. Uh, I find also that we uh, have a generous heart when it comes to teamwork. So when we go into a region, like say the Philippines or Japan or, or Guatemala, we want to partner with the local Christians. That's, that's very beautiful. It is a, a very brotherly, sisterly way of doing ministry together. Uh, so I, I find that some of our strengths, yeah. Yeah, I want to jump on, uh, um, just have you flesh out a little bit more uh, the very first strength that you talked about that we that we are caring and, and that we love the victim. Um, I think you're right. I think that's part of that's kind of baked into us as a CRC. But I think there's a, a number of people, um, even particularly those who are um, would be labeled more progressive, who would say that we aren't that way. That's why we need to change things in our denomination. They would say we're not very loving to the victim and the widow and the orphan. Um, um, So what what do you see um, in us that makes you say that we're, um, we have a strength of caring for the victim? I think I see that in our public statements. I think I see that in our public actions. Haiti was a major disaster area at one point, and uh, many groups go in to assist, but perhaps were one of the big players in the Haiti relief project. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when people say we are um, perhaps harsh or unfriendly, it will be like me playing with the kitchen stove and my mom came in and yelled at me. That's not very friendly, but it saves me mm-hmm. from future calamities. So when people are alarmed, when people are 
are caught in a situation where they see great danger and they speak very soft and slow, we probably won't believe them. Mm -hmm. But if my mom yells and says, stay away from that stove, stay away from the fire, then it impressed on me that, what's this about? If her volume is huge, then this must be huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I won't say my mom doesn't love me. Yeah. But she just I, yelled at me. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, sometimes our friends may overlook that and does not realize that we're shouting fire <laughs> mm-hmm. and everyone can be burned. It's not only us they can be burnt too. <laughs> so exactly. we're shouting fire and we're alarmed, which is the right thing to do. That's why it's called a fire alarm. <laughs> yeah, you mm-hmm. know? Uh, But they don't see that. They see the demeanor, uh, the volume of your voice, perhaps the angry expression on your face, that the, the, oh, you're playing with fire on the stove. Uh, so I think because they are equally passionate or more passionate than us, that they lose some objectivity there. Yeah. And yeah, because, I was just... Yeah, oh, go sorry. ahead. Yeah. And oh, because of the way we yell, quote unquote, uh, that gives them something to work on and mm-hmm. say that you're very mean, you're unfriendly, you're unloving, you're a bigot, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah, I was just talking to a group of teenagers last night in a profession of faith class, and we were on the topic of Uh, church discipline. And I was talking to them about that. And I said, um, you know, part of doing profession of faith, part of committing to this church is also committing to, uh, you're giving me permission and opportunity to correct you when you're wrong. If I notice something in your life um, that I think is harmful for you and dishonoring to God, I'm given the task of kind of calling you out on it. And I said, and, and I'm going to do that, not because I hate you or not because I'm judgmental, but because I love you. Um, because if I didn't love you, I wouldn't care if you were messing up your life or, or running off. Um, and, I, and then I, I reminded them, because I, I, I know teenagers don't think of this, but I don't think many um, people in our congregations remember this either. I said, as a pastor, um, one of the heavy, heavy burdens that I have um, is what God tells Ezekiel in Ezekiel 34 about the watchman on the, of the city gates. And he says that, you know, if, if you see something going on and you don't say anything about it, their blood is on your hands. Um, but if you see something and you say something to them and they ignore you, then the blood is on their hands. But if you see it and you shirk your responsibility and don't say anything, you're actually going to be held guilty of that. And I said, so that's God telling me that if I see something going on in your life and I don't say anything to you about it, then I'm going to be held guilty for shirking my responsibility. That's a big, heavy burden. And so we need to be able to enter into that. And uh, yeah, people don't always see that as loving and caring for the victim, but it actually is one of the most loving and caring things we can do for, for, mm-hmm. for people who are struggling and, and caught in sin. Yeah, and the way you explain it, I suppose young people can understand it. They may not like the idea, but I think you communicate in a very clear way that I, I'm sure they, they understand. 
what they're saying. And of course, when the watchman announces somebody's coming, he doesn't whisper. Exactly. He has to speak very loud. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Amen. Amen. <laughs> yeah, uh, and that's uh, and that's part of it. And um, I've also been I've been talking to people. Um, I mean, I'm I'm not known as being I'm kind of known known as being a loud and, and boisterous kind of a person. So I'm not known for being a quiet, gentle soul. Um, and so I, I get in conversations with with pastors who are more um, the quiet and gentle soul, which is a good thing, right? We need pastors of different types mm-hmm. and sorts. Um, and some of those pastors will talk to me and maybe encourage me, they'll say, you need to be more of a shepherd. You need to be just kind of, they, they use that shepherd imagery as being kind of this quiet, gentle soul. And I say, yeah, maybe I need to calm down a little bit. I, I get that. But but don't forget that a shepherd also carried a rod. And, uh, <laughs> and, and uh, David, David was this shepherd boy, and he also killed a bear and a lion with his bare hands. Um, and so, you know, shepherds aren't, aren't weenies and, um, they, they have, they're, they're gentle with the sheep, but they are not gentle with those who are attacking the sheep. Um, and, and that's, uh, what's most loving for them. And so, um, yeah, we all probably lean one way or the other. Some of us are going to be more of the rough, gruff, tough kind of pastor. Some of us are going to be, some are going to be more of the kind of quiet and tender pastor, but we all probably need to work on kind of being more in the middle um, being able to be strong and, and speak the truth in love. Yeah, I think that, that's true. The shepherd does have multiple duties. Yeah, yeah. Just recently, uh, the seminary is publishing a graduation, you know, uh, publication, and asked me if I wish to write something. So I named the four duties of the pastor. So the first duty of the pastor is, of course, to teach. That's to feed the flock. And the second is to care for them. So if some get sick, some get lost, you got to go out and bring them back. And then number three is that the pastor has to lead, lead them to pasture screen, safe food, not to poisonous weeds, unsafe Mm -hmm. food. So the pastor has to lead. Some pastors are reluctant to lead. So in Vancouver, we have a very special situation where there are many churches without senior pastors, but many associate pastors. Hmm. Nobody wants to be senior. Because when the youth ministry is done right, the youth minister is great. If it's not done right, the senior pastor has a problem. Mm-hmm. So nobody wants that. So increasingly, we see nobody wants to be senior pastor, but they want to be a ministry pastor somewhere so that they just deal with that, do a good job, and everybody says, wow, he's great. The last duty of the pastor is to protect the sheep. One time we had an outing. During that outing, there's a gentleman who's not a Christian who uh, was also part of it. But when he arrived, he was not feeling well. He sat on the steps of the church, could not stand up for a while. And then he eventually says, okay, I'm driving to join the picnic. He's going to drive. And then he was advised, no, don't do that. Just get on the bus we rented a huge bus right don't drive so he agreed so he got on the bus one of our deacons was in charge of this whole thing i was i was away in a place where there is limited 
cell phone access because I was speaking at another retreat. Uh, so they all went to the picnic place. And then to make the long story short, this gentleman died at the picnic place. Wow. He just collapsed and then that's it. The ambulance came, but the picnic place is like a forest. So the ambulance got lost. And by the time they came, it's just, you know, it's all over. Now, this deacon is not a, he's a rather young Christian, but he's a very committed Christian. Now he's in charge. The man who died is not a Christian. They don't know what's going to happen. And so they sent the news to me. So I cut short my stay and then I came back. And then that deacon called me at night. He said, Pastor, something happened at the picnic. And I said, yes, I know. You should never give your name, your telephone number, your email address, anything about you to that family. They deal with me. I give them my name, give them my telephone number, everything, it's about me. You're done. Go and rest. And he said it repeatedly without stop. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you, Pastor. Because he was so afraid he's going to go to court. Mm. Yeah. But this is what we do because we're the pastor, right? We yeah. don't let our sheep suffer harm. Well, that's all we have for this week. Stay tuned next week for part two of our conversation with David June. Until then, don't forget this is Christ Church, and he bought it with his blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock. So keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season. And keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation.